This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and today I'm going to be sharing an interview with Caitlin Bear. She's an Ohio teacher. Uh, she teaches high school, and she's doing some really cool stuff around going gradeless in her classroom, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, a poem, and this poem is called Trauma, a reverse poem by Renee Vanderveen, who also happens to be an OWP uh, person. And she's a member of our weekend writing group. This poem is really cool because it works forward and backward, as you will soon see. Here it goes. Your trauma beats against my love. Child, if you hide under the bed in the dark, when my hands reach out to hug you, to say I love you, I believe that no matter what, a barrier rises because fear is more powerful than love. I know it's time to talk about what the counselors say. Love is a choice. But this is not true for me. Adoption is impossible. Unless I choose to reverse my perspective and believe that, adoption is impossible. But this is not true for me. Love is a choice, the counselors say. It's time to talk about what I know. Love is more powerful than fear. A barrier raises because, no matter what, I believe that to say I love you When my hands reach out to hug you, in the dark, if you hide under the bed, child, my love beats against your trauma. Renee modeled this poem after a poem called Lost Generation by Jonathan Reed, and I've linked um, her poem as well as the instructions that Jonathan Reed leaves as a guide to the show notes for this episode. So, now on to my interview with Caitlin Bear. This interview we talked about a lot. It it started out, I was really interested in her daily structure because before we started recording, we were talking about what she teaches. She teaches high school English, and she also teaches this class where she prepares students for their college essays, which sounds like it would be a boring class, but as she described it, it sounded surprisingly cool. She uses mentor texts. She has kids doing like really authentic work. So I was really curious about her daily structure. So... At the beginning of our interview, she talks about just her daily class structure, the way she structures a class period. It's really helpful and fascinating the way she approaches this. Then in the second part of our conversation, we get into her work with going gradeless. She used a lot of um, Dr. Sarah Zerwin's work. And then in the next section of our interview, we talk about the adjustments she's had to make because Any teacher who's tried anything that's cutting edge or progressive knows that it is a game of adjustments. And then in the end of our interview, we talk about what Caitlin hopes teachers will take with them from this turbulent time of pandemic teaching. It was a jam-packed discussion, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So here it is, my interview with Caitlin Bear. the same we 
start every day. Well, something silly that I do that I learned from a colleague is uh, we do questions of the day. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like really silly questions. Like, do you like ice cream or cake? And we kind of go around the room and everyone says their answer. And so right off the bat, within the first five minutes, they talked once, um, which is super important to me. Mm-hmm. Um to kind of open with that. And then we go into like a daily writing prompt and we look at the, whatever writing prompt it is. And we, something new that I started this year that I don't know why I never did in the past, but on our notebook page, every single day we do a writing prompt. We pretty much make this box Mm -hmm. in the upper right-hand corner and we just track noticings together And so if we're reading like a poem or um, we're looking at like a Mari Andrew Instagram post, like we're tracking our noticings in a box in a corner and then trying to mimic whatever the box tells us to do. So if there's imagery, if there's repetition, um, and so we pretty much track our noticings in this box on our notebook page, and then we try it. Um, And sometimes we share, Mm -hmm. what was that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. Do does everyone notice the same things as a class, or does everyone notice their own things, or both? We, I mean, we spend some time like writing our own things, but then we mm-hmm. always share out, and we kind of build this list together. Cool. And it's all on the document camera, and so they see me writing while they're trying it out. Um, and I just never did that before, and I, it's so something so simple that just like making a box. And what's cool is. Like at the end of the quarter, we come back to a writing piece from our notebook. We call it like portfolio week. Mm -hmm. And they're able to see what that mentor text, what their noticings were. And so Mm -hmm. they know kind of how to craft that piece a little bit better because we already pretty much analyzed the mentor text. Um, And I guess we get to like track moves that other writers are making yeah. And so we're pretty much building this like skill toolbox throughout the year. Wow. So awesome. how long does this opening part of class take with the question of the day, the writing, the like quick writing, and then sharing out? How long does that part of the class take? And then how much time is left in each session? I would say probably like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, we only have 45 minutes together. So um, every single day, I guess I should have opened with that. We are not like on any block schedule, uh-huh. 45 minutes, Monday through Friday. And so the question of the day, the write, daily writing prompts um, mm-hmm. probably takes like 10 to 15 minutes, probably more 15 minutes. Okay. So in the rest, so then what happens in the rest of class? So I guess it depends what we're doing. Um, Usually we're working on like our piece, like we call them like weekly drafts. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the past three weeks has always been college essays. And so during like our college essay unit, um, we did like a skill a day. And so we looked at, um, I pretty much narrowed down these college essays and zoomed in on like one skill. So for example, one of them was like dialogue. And so we looked at how other writers were using dialogue and tracked noticings. Mm -hmm. And um, they usually like taped something in their notebook to remember. And then they went and tried dialogue in their piece of writing. Mm -hmm. And so when they're trying that, I'm conferencing with kids. And so they 
pretty much scheduled a conference with me for a certain day. And I usually try to get through like maybe three writers. Mm-hmm. And so the rest of class, they're trying to implement that skill. And then I'm trying to conference with those kids, um, which These is are, pretty big for me. Yeah. The, your class periods are so dense with good stuff. Like I'm thinking back to high school when I was in high school and there were so many days where I had really, I thought I had really great things to say or great thoughts, but I didn't get to talk. Yeah. So in the first few 15 minutes of your class periods, every kid has a chance to be heard. Yeah. And then they get to notice good writing moves. They get to watch you modeling how to think like a writer. And then at the end of the quarter, they use all this stuff that they've learned to yeah. build out one piece. And then for the rest, and that's just the first 15 minutes of every class that they're getting this stuff. And then the next, yeah. the next chunk of time is a writing workshop where you're giving people feedback. Think of all the, I can't believe all the things that your kids are getting in one class yeah. period. <laughs> We're exhausted by the end. Must be. You must um, be. I, yeah, I think like I thrive on structure. Like mm-hmm. I definitely am a perfectionist and I need structure in those bells. And it just makes it easier because even when a kid is absent, like, we're all dealing with, you know, kids who are quarantined. They know exactly what we did. Yeah. Um, and it just makes it easier for all of us to have structure in those days. So I want the, I want to chat about um, your mat, your MAT work, your master's work with OWP. Yeah. And I've been talking about it. Like every time we chat, what you've been doing comes up. You did some work with uh, gradeless, going gradeless, yeah. right? Yes. And when did you finish your MAT? This past summer. So most of your MAT happened during the pandemic too, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I don't even know where to begin with all that. Yeah. It's a lot to dig into. Yeah. And so I guess the backstory is um, Andrea Nichols, who is like the other person who teaches college reading and writing. She is an OWPer. She's been gradeless for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a practice that she has been doing for forever, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And she's such like a role model to me just because, and I think even our English department, we're all very close, but there's like this special miracle that happens in her classes every single year. And I knew that if we were teaching the same class, like I wanted to be like her. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to do for my topic? I was playing around with, you know, sharing of writing because I got the idea from for like read arounds from her and because I saw what she was able to get kids to share in her classroom. And so I was playing around with read arounds a little bit, but then like the pandemic happened and I was like, you know what? Like, I think going gradeless this year would be a benefit for all of us. Like I, like we had kids quarantined and I knew that I needed to do something that seemed less stressful mm-hmm. and would help us all. And so also I feel like, I mean, this is my six year teaching. So mm-hmm. thinking back whenever I would like make my syllabi, whenever I would have conversations with kids, it was always like, how many points is this worth? Like what, what grade do I need to pass? Um, and I just felt like I was grading these kids' stories, like when they would write something, like, why should I 
determine that this kid's story about when he was a child or a turning moment in this kid's life, why am I giving that kid a B for like sharing their story? And so I just felt like, what else can I do to get my kids to trust me and to just like pump the brakes a little bit? Um, And so I just started playing around with this idea of going gradeless. And during my OWP four week, uh, our book club book that we did was pointless. Um, or sorry, it was project-based learning by Liz Prather. And I felt like her class was so fixated on just learning and not this other extra stuff. And then of course, when Pointless came out, I believe it was last summer, I knew I had to read that. And um, that was pretty much my mentor text to going gradeless. So that's fascinating. So when, um, you know, everybody has their own flavor of going gradeless. It's it's one of those questions with lots of right answers because um, everybody has different kinds of restrictions that they have to work around based off of their school district, their mm-hmm. school itself, their community, and um, how freaked out the people around them are getting <laughs> about it. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to know, like, what your, how, how did you dive into going gradeless and what was your version of it? What was your take on how to do it? Yeah. So my colleague, Andrea and I, we pretty much sat down and we made, basically shrunk like our writing standards into eight goals. And it was pretty much like a chart that we made. So eight goals and then the students, like what it looked like for them to achieve those goals. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I shared a lot with my kids about the research that I was learning And I feel like this year I was more articulate with them and with my parents and sharing. I actually like linked my presentation to my parents this year so they could read about it um, if they had any questions. And we spent a day really talking about the grades that we have received in like our life. And I pretty much opened the floor to my kids and I was like, what are your guys' thoughts on grades? And they like told me so many moments of like, I had one student tell me that they like failed an anatomy quiz. And so they felt like they couldn't go into medicine anymore. I had students tell me that they got like a certain grade on an English paper and they felt like they weren't a good writer. And so we pretty much opened the floor to like why we have grades and what our own relationships and stories with grades were. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of went into like, what if, and I love that like question started, like, what if we didn't have grades in here? And at first I feel like they're always like, what? Like no grades. Like this is awesome. Um, But then we kind of just talk about why. And we talk about like, what if we just stuck with goals? Like what Mm -hmm. if you picked two goals basically per quarter Mm -hmm. to really focus on. And that's pretty much what we do. We have our students come up with two goals from the eight that we created and they like pretty much map out their plan. So they put these goals in their own words, what it will look like for them. So for example, one of the goals is like to write routinely, to -hmm. experiment and to take risks. And so a lot of them say like, I'm going to get to a page every single day during warm up time, like I'm going to write a page every single day. 
And they pretty much map out that goal. And throughout the quarter, they collect evidence Mm -hmm. of how they met those goals. Um, And at the end of the quarter, we do like grade conferences. So I actually just started them this past week and they pretty much show me their evidence. And so if one of their goals was to give extensive feedback to other writers, like I have kids taking screenshots of their Google documents where they are like having these conversations with not only students in my class, but like other students who don't even take the class. Um, I have one student and I thought that this was fascinating. Like he had two other teachers on his Google document that he went to, to try to get this evidence of feedback. And, and so I'm noticing that kids are like expanding their learning outside of my room. Um, And I have so many stories of that, that I have one girl in her grade conference. um, One of her goals was to like write routinely, but to take risks like that, that whole goal is like basically in one of the goals. And she showed me screenshots like of the notes in her phone. And she's like writing her own poetry, like at night when she's sitting there, like waiting to go to bed. And so they're like doing so much more than I don't think I ever would have known if I just had points in my classroom because I'm like setting this time to talk with them. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like, that's pretty much the short version. Let's Um, get into the weeds a little bit. What do you yeah. think, what do you think that you are doing or what is the environment that you're creating that's nudging kids toward going beyond? I think honestly it's just I'm getting them to believe in themselves. Like I think like a lot of our students have been hurt by these numbers. Mm-hmm. Um I've had students tell me and I and I pretty much talked about this during my math presentation. But I have students tell me that this whole gradeless system, like they see themselves more as just a number and they're able to like take these risks. They're able to find their voice. They feel like they're not ashamed of like trying and failing. Mm -hmm. And I think me modeling that too and opening up and sharing my experience as well, I think is getting them to just trust me and to trust this process. Mm And I don't know, I think they're just turning into these little writers and they're like going home and journaling and and now this isn't everybody, Uh but I mean, it's definitely enough for me to notice. Is when you set it, um, help students set up the goals at first. I just always imagine that when something's successful, a lot of front loading kinds of things happened at the beginning. Is that the case with this? Like when you're having students um, choose their goals, um, do do you do work around helping them choose a goal that's really going to stretch them or do you just give them full autonomy? How does, how does that process work? Well, I feel like first quarter is a little, it's hard because not a lot of them, like not a lot of them understand this process. And Mm -hmm. so Nichols and I, like, we write a letter to our students and they like spend a day reading this letter. And we pretty much have all of this research in there about what it means to be gradeless. And um, like, even us, like in high school, like remembering a piece of writing um, and kind of really talking about that. And then Mm -hmm. we pretty much go over all of the goals together and what it looks like. Um, what it looks like to 
make writing choices, what it looks at like to like seek out a mentor text. Um, and we really like sit down with them and we spend a good two days like coming up with good goals. And a lot of them have to revise it because they're not, art- they're not articulating it enough. Um, but the whole purpose is like, we have these eight goals and they have to pick two different ones each quarter. And so they can't necessarily have the same goal throughout the whole entire year. And so we really talk about, and I try to tell them like, you know, this quarter we're doing college essays, right? Mm -hmm. So like, we're obviously going to be revising these a lot. And so that might be a good goal to pick because we're revising extensively this quarter. Um, And I tell them like second quarter, we go into like a genre study. And so the mentor text, like seeking out mentor text might be the goal to pick for that. So I think like telling them like maybe the goals that they should start with definitely Mm -hmm. helps. Yeah, I was reading. No, it's great. I was reading a book by Trevor McKenzie. Our school's doing a book study. It's called Inquiry Mindset. And he talks about how like with inquiry work, sometimes we just throw kids into the deep end. And for some, some people are ready to swim and some aren't, right? And one thing that, we can do is we can all start in the shallow end together. We can all have floaties. Teachers can direct inquiry and then have a plan for how they're going to gradually help students move to the deep. It sounds like you start out, at least for some of the students who need it, in that shallow end with helping them pick their goals. Mm -hmm. Now, like in in the research, I'm putting using quote fingers, Research shows that whenever there's an, hold on, let me say that differently. Whenever there's an evidence-based practice, it doesn't work on 100% of people 100% of the time. Like every study, it'll say like, this this strategy worked 87% of the time. It is effective. Or John Hattie will like assign an effect size that this is more likely to have a big impact. But every, the thing that we, I think the mistake I've made as a teacher is, this is a research-based practice. I'm going to use it in my classroom and everybody's going to do better. And that just doesn't happen with everything, right? Yeah. We have, there's students that it bounces off of that we have to do something else with or win them over to the practice. So I was really curious to know about like the students that struggle to buy in or the students who struggle with going grade list the most, what are some of the things that you do to win them over to, or to guide them or help them? Yeah, I will say um, last year when I did like a survey of like who liked this practice, kind of what you were saying, like 95% of my students said that they liked it. So it was like that 5% kind of really bugged me. And I asked those 5%, I was like, what about this? Like really bugs you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are like, I like just really am drawn to percentages. Like I just need to know where I'm at. And so something that I changed was like in progress book, like, yes, they don't see a percentage, but they do see numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not calculated with their grade. Mm -hmm. And so I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but pretty much every assignment that goes into the grade book is tagged with the learning goal that it was. And they pretty much get a zero, five, seven, or 10. Mm-hmm. And the zero, they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Five, 
they're halfway to mastering the goal. They need to go, they need to conference with me. Um, seven is they have like an optional conference, but they need to like go back to the directions mm-hmm. or look at my feedback. And a 10 is like they mastered that goal. And so they can see those numbers still, like parents can see those numbers still. And I tell my parents, you know, like if you if your student has mostly sevens and tens, like they're there. Like think of that as like an A B. Um, if your student has zeros and fives, like think of that as like a CD. Um, and so I think that was a change that I made like in the process of my research, mm-hmm. just because I did want all kids to buy into this practice. And so they can still see those numbers and be able to like categorize where they stand in the classroom. I want to go back to one more thing. Yeah. Um, it, you said you had a parent presentation at the beginning of the Can you talk about some of the things that you put in that parent presentation? Because I bet a lot of teachers are wondering. Yeah, I mean, I I literally QR code my my mat research. I'm not sure how many parents actually went and watched it, Um, but we pretty much have like this open house night where parents are able to come and meet teachers. And I really talk about the grade list. Mm-hmm. Um, approach and I talk about why I link my my I linked all of my research and I think it helps that obviously last year like kids liked it I always throw this statistic at them because I think it's really important but 45 percent of my students last year referred to this gradeless system as like relieving stress pressure and worry like I did not have like a question related to mental health at all when I was surveying this for my research. But 45% of them said that it relieved the stress, pressure, and worry. Um, And I should say too, my fiance is a psychologist. So I feel like I had that mindset of like looking into mental health. Um, And so I always throw that at them. And I honestly have not had any issues. Um, The only issue I had last year was a parent just didn't know how to work progress book or yeah. our grade book. That's and so minor. they didn't, they didn't know how to like see the feedback and see the numbers. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't necessarily that they didn't agree with my practice. They just mm-hmm. didn't understand the system that we put grades onto. So it seems like the, the key to a lot of the success of this, the, the, great this program that you've implemented is Mm -hmm. that you have been responsive when some students struggle with it and you have made sure that like the hard thing about going gradeless is you can't just go gradeless and then trust that everything's going to work for the best Um, people a lot many students need to know where they stand just because Mm -hmm. that's one of the sources of stress is what I'm picking up on yeah and one of the adjustments you made was like helping trying to make it more clear through feedback and through like how you're recording where they are in the process is letting letting students know where they stand, even though you're not getting a grade. This is more about your growth. And yeah. then with parents, it sounds like just at least giving them the opportunity to understand what's good, what yeah. goes into it is part of the like secret to that a lot, Like 99% of our parents, like in all of our districts, like they want us to do well. Like they, I feel very supported mm-hmm. in my district. I feel like my principal supports me in this practice. Um, 
And so I think that they also, they know that their kids are in good hands when you're able to be vulnerable with them and share why you're doing something. Um, I, I could see how parents wouldn't understand if I didn't give that time to explain why. Um, and I send mass emails to my parents a lot of the times, like in grade book, mm-hmm. um, basically sharing what we did that week. And I try to communicate with them as much as I can. And also, like I tell my students, like, show this letter to your parents. Like if they're confused, just show them the letter and have them read it. Um, and a lot of times they do. And it it all clicks. So if you were to get pushback from a teacher at a teaching conference or a class that you're leading of adults, or if you were going to get pushback from an administrator, where do you think that pushback would be and how do you respond to that? So I think I definitely see, um, I have this privilege of having this elective class Mm. and I have this privilege of not having a standardized assessment at the end of every year for this class. And I do teach juniors and I, although my colleague Nichols, she does grade lists with her juniors. I knew that this year I really needed to figure out this reading side of going grade lists um, with my juniors. And I'm just not there to implement this practice with them yet because we have so many moving parts mm-hmm. with, you know, a nine, 10, 11 class in my mind. Like we mm-hmm. have ACT, we have these standardized tests, unfortunately in nine, tens and elevens that they do get graded. And so I personally am still on that journey, like trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you know when I do, but um, I think also, I feel like all of us as teachers, like we know our kids, we know our communities, mm-hmm. we know what will work, we know what won't. And I would say to these teachers, like start small. You know, like pick one writing piece and try to go gradeless with one thing. The next time you try to put something in the grade book, like ask yourself why, like, does this need to be in here? Like, can I, can I showcase the, where my students stand through like a conference or through feedback? Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say like, just definitely start small um, and see what will work with your kids. And if you really like break out, like say pointless, like Sarah Zerwin's book, if you break out the strategies in that book, you could still do everything that she talks about in that book, even if you're giving grades at the end. Yeah. Um, like at the heart of the gradeless work, it's not going gradeless that's at the heart of it, right? It's the yeah. feedback, it's the student ownership of their learning, it's the metacognition, right? Mm-hmm. And that can happen in any classroom, even if your yeah. school <clears throat> is a little bit autocratic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I had a question. Let me see if I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like you do a lot of stuff as a teacher, like a yeah. lot of planning, a lot of feedback. Go, and a, a lot of work outside the classroom goes into what you're doing. So could you talk a little bit about how you manage your time so that you can get most of this done? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess 
something that I found saves me a lot of time is like the moat audio feedback, um, which is something I briefly talked about during that. But um, somebody else in my cohort had a whole entire presentation about audio feedback, which was fabulous. Um, but that was something small that I discovered during COVID and during the pandemic um, because all of these programs are free for all of us. Um, now it costs money. Uh, and so something I noticed was like moat was just the simple way to provide audio feedback and saved me a lot of time. Um, because I was able to, you know, spend my plan bell during the day, just responding to audio with audio feedback to my students and their writing. And so I definitely feel like that helps. Um, I'm definitely a fan of like tagging in Google documents. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the tagging option, mm -hmm. but when students tag you in their writing, it comes up like on an email and you're able to like quickly reply mm -hmm. through email. It's um, a little plus also, sign that you add in the comment on a Google doc, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, if you just like, I think it's like command control M mm -hmm. and then you just like, do the little at sign okay. and tag um, whoever you want to be on the documents. And that's definitely helped. And I feel like something I've been really trying this year is to really have my kids learn how to be intentional with their questions mm -hmm. and with their feedback questions. And so every time I give feedback to my students, they have to have a question for me. And so we really practice how do you come up with these good questions? And I kind of play around with like, give me a good question. And some of them are like, well, is this good enough? Or like, how's my grammar? Like those are typically their first questions. And I'm like, that's not a good question. And we really spend time coming up with these good questions to ask our peers. And I think a lot of that has been successful because we're tracking writing moves throughout the whole entire year. And so it's not about grammar. Like we're not tracking grammar. Like we're tracking moves that writers are making with like dashes and imagery and personification. And so they're learning how to ask these really simple intentional questions, which helps, I think. Yeah. I love it. So last question. Um, I think, I hope that, when his, his teacher historians, I don't know if that's a thing, uh, when teacher historians look back on this time, I hope that, and I think that they'll see that there was an explosion of innovation that happened right around 2020. Yeah. Because in that moment, it was horrible and tragic and awful. We lost so much of our school year and our community, but we also were playing with house money because there were no expectations. They got rid of state testing for one year. Mm -hmm. um, and that gave us all a chance to try things. And Beth and I have been, in the last episode, we're talking about, or in a recent episode, we're talking about how we're all, we all tried these amazing things and we are anxious that we'll revert back to old things. And we're hopeful at the same time that teachers will bring a lot of this innovation with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a perfect case in point, right? A lot of your MAT project happened because pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> if the pandemic ever ends, what do you hope that teachers will take with them from this moment in time? I think like we 
realized how important it was to be with kids face to face. And definitely something that I am keeping with me is this built in time to conference with my kids every single day. Like I want them to read and write and speak every single day. And that is such a simple thing with like big impact. And so I think like this idea of what small things can we do in our classroom that are intentional, that have big impacts that will like basically sustain for forever. And so just this idea of, I think conferencing for me with my kids every day was something that I'm definitely keeping with me because during the pandemic, Like I needed to talk to my kids who were on Zoom. Like I was simultaneous in my district. So I had in-person kids and then I had like a simultaneous Zoom happening at the same time. And so that's pretty much why I had to block out this time every day to conference with kids because I needed to talk to my kids who are at home. Um, So I I hope that just the small things and, and to be more intentional about what we do every day that has like big impacts is definitely what I'm taking with me. We're entering the most stressful and overwhelming time of the year and of the school year, but that doesn't mean that our teaching has to suffer. And in this interview, I hope you've seen that Caitlin provides a few different blueprints for ways that we can still really be progressive and really do good teaching no matter what this world throws at us. So if you're looking to connect with Caitlin um, or follow her work on social media, I've included some of that information in our show notes. And if you're looking to become involved with the Ohio Writing Project or if you're interested in having OWP Come to your school to lead professional development. I've included a few different points of contact in the show notes. So that's about it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Write Answers. (laughs) 